0: Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We are going to be continuing our uh, series this morning called This Is My Story. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks and you've already been journeying along, With us, And we began in the first week, week one, to talk about the importance of story and the way that God uses it. That the majority of scripture is written as story or as narrative, that it shows uh, the way that God interacts with people in real life, how he would relate to them and what he would do in your life as a possibility of that example. And uh, last week, uh, Pastor Bob was talking about the way that God has uh, moved in his own story, and that God can redeem hard parts of our lives, that there's no piece or part of our story, there's no chapter that ends up wasted, that when we surrender the whole manuscript into the hands of God, that he does beautiful things with that. And we're going to be kind of continuing in that vein of thought. But what I want to posit to you this morning is this idea that God's intention is to not just uh, come in and edit your story on occasion, but his intention was to always be its sole author. That God's plans and purposes for your life, that uh, his intentions for you, the answers to the who are you and why are you here, that those things were wholly intended by God to be the sole voice to speak into, and he always intended to be the author of the way that your life has gone. And that may or may not be any or part of your experience to this point, but we do need to land on that truth, that God's not just interested in how your story goes and just looking for opportunities to be a part of it, but that he has intended that he would actually be the author of it and script it out in participation with him. Uh, For a number of years, uh, I lived in on the Front Range. I was uh, an associate pastor of a church in Lyons, and during that time, I was bivocational. I've shared this with you frequently from the front because there is a whole host of illustrations that come from working with high schoolers. But I taught high school English for seven years. And one of the things that I would do in every one of my classes, whether it was a freshman, sophomore, junior, or senior level class, or whether it was specifically for British literature, American literature, or creative writing, we would always do different types of writing prompts to kind of get ourselves ready for the classwork that day. And we would do a uh, a creative writing exercise frequently that I called Pass the Paper. And so what would happen on that day is if we were going to do pass the paper, creating, writing, exercise, I would come into class, I'd say, all right, class, circle your desks. This was the cue that we were doing something a little bit different. And then I would say what I said every day, which is get out a piece of paper and something to write with. To the collective, oh, as you can imagine. So every day for like seven years, all I heard was people groaning about the things that I was asking them to do. It was a great, great crucible training for ministry, don't you think? So get out a clean sheet of paper, something to write with, and everybody would groan, and then I would give them a prompt, and I would give them just a beginning sentence, something like this. Once upon a time, there was a cabin in the woods, dot, 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 go. And they would have to, from that prompt, begin to just kind of write their story. And different levels of ability, and, and some uh, people in class, man, they would start going. Some, they were still trying to sound out their words in high school, right? So they're, 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 we're working on it. But I would give them a time sequence, maybe three to five minutes, and they're just going to go. And they begin to write their story. They're trying to just kind of be creative, kind of do some brainstorming things, and get moving on it. And then at the time uh, up timer, right? Hey, time's up. Fold your paper. Pass it to the left. And what would happen at that point is they would fold their paper over, and the only line that would still be exposed was the last complete sentence that they had written, And then they would pass it to the person on their left and the person on their left would read just that one sentence as their prompt and they would begin the rest of the story. And we would do that for two or three sequences left and right and kind of back and forward until the story would get back around to the individual who originally began to craft the story. And when the story would pass from one to another, very frequently everything in the story changed. Like everything would change because at that point, a new author controlled the narrative. And what was interesting is you would have somebody who would start a romantic story and it would go into the hands of a football player and all of a sudden it was some type of violent adventure, right? You would have somebody who's trying to unpack a heartfelt tragedy and it would go into the hands of the class clown and it would become a comedic enterprise. Like everything would change. Main characters would change. Puppies would become pirates, right? At times, the story would maintain some cohesion, but most of the time, at the end, when it was time to read it, it was just a mess. Rarely, you would get something that, from start to finish, made enough sense to say that was not a well-done story, but we'll call it a story. But most of the time, it just became this senseless mess, this hodgepodge of random Places and characters and happenings that really didn't even fit together. And I would suggest to you that many times we find ourselves in retrospect looking at our lives and we feel that way. Like we get to places in our lives where we ask questions like, I don't, I don't know how my life came to this. I don't know if you've ever been there. There's times where we will look into the eyes of our spouse and we'll wonder, like, how, how did our relationship get to this point? We'll look at things that are taking place in our family, our community, our finances, or in our own uh, health and uh, our relationships. And, and we'll, we'll start asking these questions. Like, I, don't, man, I don't know how I got here. And we'll begin to wrestle out who we are and why we're here, questions of purpose. The why question probably weighs The heaviest but we get to this place where there are times when we look back that our life was kind of going in a direction or a storyline that would be favorable something that we would even desire to be a part of and then all of a sudden something changed and i would suggest to you that as we've been talking about uh, our lives as a story as we've been using that metaphor as a vehicle to consider who we are and how god would work in our lives Uh, To this point, we've talked about the way that God used this story to reveal himself to us, and Pastor Bob was very vulnerable last week to talk about the way that God has moved in his own personal life and story. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that God is not interested in just watching or viewing or having a partial participation, but that he has always intended to be the author of life. He he has intended to be the one who story crafts your existence. That he's always had that in mind. And if you look at Genesis chapter one and chapter two, we don't have time to do that this morning. But if you look at the way that God uh, begins creation and the way that those narratives set up the expectation for who God is and how He's going to work in our lives, you discover some things that God, if He was going to write the story from beginning to end, would always intend. Would always intend. For that you and I would know him and his love. That the personal narrative that he would write for your life, would that it would begin with that. That you would know him and that you would know his love. That you would understood who you were and who you were created to be. And that you would walk into the fullness of the assignment that he had for your life. To, to participate in his plans and participation and you wouldn't have to get too far in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis to understand when the narrative switched hands like when things got messy that when sin was introduced into creation that it was at that point in effect that it seemed like the paper was passed and there were other voices and there were other permissions given that began to ruin the masterpiece that God had intended and and that's our that's our challenge it's the challenge for you and I that because of sin, our sin, and the sin of others, because of just kind of the broken ways that the world still has a tendency to work, that there are other pens, there are other authors, there are other voices that are looking to sabotage your story, to sabotage the story that God had intended. For you, And some of those things I would just suggest to you without being able to go into a deep dive on those this morning. Some of those things are crafted by our experience, right? You're just living your life and then you get hit by the bus of life. And that happens to us at times. That you didn't do anything and you didn't set it up. You just you were uh, really the collateral damage or the victim of something violent and uh, just un, uh, unhealthy in, in life. Sometimes it's not the experience. Sometimes there is very real demonic influence that we interact with scripture is very clear on that oftentimes it's somebody else's voice many of us have a a struggle of really knowing who we were created to be and understanding ourselves through the lens of who god says we are because we don't hear what god speaks over us as the character in our story we hear what other people have said what you were called in middle school or the label that you were given or the social status that was assigned to you that you would never rise above because no one would let you do that. Like we, we have all kinds of these pseudo-authors that look to pen and sabotage our story. And then sometimes we do it ourselves. We become real-time autobiographers of our own story, where we look to wrestle away the things that God would write and speak into our lives, and we become the masters of our own existence. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to to create my own reality, and we start to kind of move in that way. And all of those things, all of those things, whether small or large, in some way do violence to the masterpiece that God would actually write of your story. We were not intended to live a story of collaborative authorship. What I mean by that is this. God has always intended to be the sole author of your life. To be the one who speaks to you about who you are. To be the one who crafts the plans and purposes for your life. And be the one who walks with you into the full experience of all of those things but many of us have suffered under the writing of poor authorship as other voices have been given permission to speak into our lives if you've got your bibles this morning i want to invite you to get those out and i would just ask you to raise those up if you've got your smartphone or your tablet uh, you can open up your bible app and do the same thing lord we acknowledge that we need your word Lord, that in this written word, you have written your own story, that you have shown and revealed yourself, that we can know you and understand you a little bit through these narratives. But Lord, that you are also the God of story craft and that you have plans and purposes for us. Your word is clear on that. And you have designs for our life, Lord. And you have intention for us to know you and to walk into the fullness of those things. So we ask that you would give us soft hearts today to be Challenged by your word, give us soft hearts to receive the truth of your word, and Lord, give us willing hearts to surrender the pen that we would allow you to write our script in Jesus name. Amen. With your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to spend just a brief moment there unpacking a specific statement that Paul makes to the church there, but it's a great reminder and starting point for us today. And then we're going to spend the rest of our time in the Old Testament in Psalms chapter 1: 39 so in ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 paul's writing to the church in ephesus and he gives them this statement of reminder about their identity about an understanding of who they are and who they were designed to be because of god's intention and it says this he says for we are god's handiwork some of your versions may say that we are god's like craftsmanship but we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works which God had prepared in advance for us to do. And you've got some statements here about God's intention for the activity of your life and the way that He would uh, craft it or script it or lead it, how, whatever metaphor you would use in, in that turn, but that God has some things that He has always intended for you and the first is this that we are God's handiwork that word is super super important it's a Greek word that would be trans uh, or, or uh, pronounced poema it's where we get the word poem this idea of poema this this handiwork or craftsmanship it really means masterpiece at part of the root understanding of it and it would be a, a, a really good way for us to think this morning of ourselves as a poetic masterpiece That in Christ, that is actually who you are. That's who you are supposed to be. That God's intention for you would be the sole, he would be the sole author of a poetic masterpiece that would be the summation of who you are, who you were created to be, and the existence that you experienced on earth and into heaven as a result of that. That that's who we are in Christ Jesus. Now, outside of Christ, the the bad news is, is we're not a masterpiece, We're the clean sheet of paper and something to write with that somebody began a story with and we're getting passed from pen to pen to pen and we become a senseless mess at the end of that. But God's intention would be that you're created to be a poetic masterpiece and that in his hands that you were crafted in that way created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's not just to like be good and stop being naughty. It means that God has a plan and a purpose and a design for your life. There was a cabin in the woods and let's just see where this goes. A great author has a beginning and has an idea of the end and has a pretty good idea of where they want their main character to go and do. And the rest oftentimes is filled in just kind of through that type of of work and authorship and that type of craft. But God doesn't have to fumble through the details of your life to figure out who you are and to find a good ending to your story. He has already designed your life to work the way that he intended. For you to know him and know his love, to walk in the fullness of the plans and the purposes that he has for you, to understand who you are and who you were created to be, he has already authored that storyboard and makes it available to us in Jesus. But we end up in places where we've got to ask this question because this is a very real question that I have at times in my own life when I'm looking back in retrospect to chapters of my life that I would rather have not be a part of it. And we, we ask this question like, yeah, but what about me? Okay, what, what about me now? Like, that chapter like that happened the the chapter i'm living this is real today what about my struggles what about my failures what about the places that i missed and messed up see for many of us our life seems to be anything but a masterpiece We don't feel like a masterpiece in our person. We don't feel like there's much value in us on on a whole level. But certainly in the pieces of our life, we would say that there are places where we are less than what I would be describing as a poetic masterpiece in the hands of the divine author. So so what do I do with that? Pastor Ben, like, what what do I do with that? Where do I go from here today? Most of us have seasons in our story or present circumstances where we sound more like the senseless mess I described in my creative writing class than we would be a finished work of art. And so this morning as we kind of wrestle with that, which is a common experience, and it's the truth in many cases of where we are today, how do, how do we respond? What are, what are some things that I can do that begin to recraft my story that allows God's divine authorship to gain access once again to the pen and to be able to script and scribe the beautiful story that he intended for me. We're going to look in Psalms chapter 139 for a few, um, I think, helpful reminders this morning. Psalm 139, we're going to pick up in verse 7. We're going to read through 7 through 12 We're gonna jump down to 13 and 16 and then back up to one to four. Your homework this week is gonna be to consider reading Psalm 139 and then you could just read it straight in the way that it goes instead of hopping around with me this morning. But Psalm 139 provides a number of helpful reminders of how we can respond when we recognize that the activity of our life or the participation of our life is not in alignment with what God would be writing for us but is following the script of a charlatan. Somebody else who has sabotaged our story and moved us in the wrong direction. Psalm chapter 139, verse 7. The psalmists find themselves in a place where they are considering the whole of their life. They're wrestling out some difficult places, and they're asking oftentimes kind of the questions that you and I would ask. Like, how did my life come to this? Why am I here? Is there any purpose to who I am, and what am I supposed to do about the mess that I find Myself in. And in verse 7, the psalmist begins with this question. It says, Where can I go from your spirit? Like, God, is there any place that, that I can retreat from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Is there a place for me to find myself outside of your presence? Is there a place for me to retreat to? It's like sometimes we try to run from God, we have Jonah moments in our lives. Sometimes we're actively and uh, joyfully participating as God is scripting our narrative, and then we can start to see where the story's going, and we just want a different ending, or we want a different path, right? My kids, at times, they'll come home with these books, and it's the Pick-A-Path book, right? It starts with the same introduction, and it gets more or less to the same conclusion, but you kind of pick the direction that you go. Does Johnny go uh, up the stairs or down the stairs? If he goes up, then skip to chapter four. If he goes down, then skip to chapter seven. Like you're bouncing all over. And it's it's an interesting way that they do story craft because you can read the book over and over and have so many different stories woven into it. But many times, there's times where we'll look to kind of exclude ourselves or excuse ourselves from what we can see God is clearly trying to do in our life, and so we try to pick an alternate path. But oftentimes, because of our failures, because of our sin, because of our brokenness, because of our experience, we will feel as if we have been excluded from God's presence. And the psalmist, he asked this question, like, God, where are you in this, is really the question being asked. If I go up to the heavens, oh, man, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely, the darkness will hide me, and the light becomes night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will not, or the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And as the psalmist is wrestling out this idea of God, where are you and where are you when I feel like you're far away he comes to the conclusion that God is present and this is an important thing for us to recognize when we find ourselves in chapters of our lives where we can see that God is not the architect of the script where the narrative has been hijacked by voices that have spoken lies into our lives or desires that have enticed us to run into alternate paths, or places where we have wrestled control of our own life and we're trying to script our own narrative, when we become aware of that, it is very helpful for us to be reminded of this, that God is holy and truly and completely present. See, there's chapters in your story that if you had the power of redaction, you would go back and eliminate. That you would go back and, and, and you, would, you would script those out, and, and rightly so. But we make the assumption that there are places in our lives where we have dealt with our own brokenness, or we have failed horrifically, or we have been wounded or offended, so severely, and we can draw the conclusion that somehow that chapter that God was not present or part of and can't do anything with that. But the truth is, is that God is holy, truly, and completely present, even when there would be so many other voices that would be looking to hijack the masterpiece that He intended your life to be. He is present, He's present. And one of the things that this is particularly helpful with, and I'm just going to take a sidebar for a moment, but this is particularly helpful in dealing with issues in your past. Now there's some different ways that people are encouraged to kind of go back and find the root of things that they're dealing with. And kind of through sociology and psychology and some of those other social disciplines, there are some helpful things that we're encouraged to do. But sometimes just going back and knowing when you were really severely hurt, all that does is remind you of the hurt. Sometimes it just brings you face to face with a more vivid trauma than you've experienced to that point. What is really helpful is for you to think about where God was in that moment and how he would have responded. Because the truth is, is that God was there. And that the lie that was spoken over you in middle school, when that person said what still weighs on your heart today, that God was not only present, but he was there to tell you that's not true. And this is what I speak. See, The, the presence of God changes the narrative. And we need to be aware that God is present, and the psalmist gets us to that place. The second thing that we need to recognize is that we are holy and truly and completely known, and that's a super scary thing, but let's look at this. Psalm 139, verse 13. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that. The psalmist is using the same language that Paul uses in Ephesians, this idea that we are handcrafted, that we're unique, that we're special, that we're beautiful, that God had foreknowledge and understanding of who we were supposed to be, and he was intentional in our design and our purpose for our life, and he's celebrating those things. That even before I was created, I was known and I was understood that just like the good things that God has designed for me to experience in Christ were considered before the foundations of the earth, that before I was actually in creation that God had already an intention for my life and a design for me. The psalm begins in verse one. It says that you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it completely. You know me. You knew me before I was knowable. You know me in all of my knowingness. You know all of my thoughts. You know what I'm going to say. Like I, I am completely known. And most of the time that makes us wiggle because what we, what we hear is not that we're known, but that we're found out. That we're found out. And we're prone to, like the psalmist was, to want to shy away from the presence of God, to run. Where can I go to hide from him? But what is being celebrated here isn't that you can't hide the grotesqueness of your sin, it's that you are wholly and completely known and loved as a result. He knows who you are, He knows where you are, He knows what is happening, He knows what has happened. Your story in God's hands is not folded over where he gets to look at just one sentence and then have to pick up from there. He knows the content. And he's there to speak what is true of who you are. So you begin your past the paper story. And once upon a time, in a cabin in the woods, and you start crafting that story. And then all of a sudden, it gets passed to the person next to you, and they start to write something else. You know they're going to ruin it. When we did the pass-a-paper story, kids would, like, think about where they were going to sit. Right? Because some of those real creative writers that would start a masterpiece knew that they were going to hand it to the knucklehead jock next to them, and that story was going to go down the toilet real fast. You could almost see it. But here's the really cool thing. The person who began it knows who the character is intended to be. And if they can ever speak back into the development of that character, they will. See, God knows who you are. And you may not be anywhere near who he intended you to be. You may not be even close to the man of God or the woman of God that he has designed for you to be. But if you surrender the pen, he will recraft who you become. He will recraft who you become because it moves us from this place that not only is God present in every area of your story, even the parts that are yet to be written, and you are wholly known, So who you are and who you are supposed to be, he is fully capable of writing into the life that you live. But the third thing is this, that he retains the editing rights. He retains the editing rights. Not just the authorship, but the editing rights. In Psalm 139, verse 17, it says this, How precious to me are your thoughts, God, Man, how vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. Verse 23 says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. What the psalmist is saying here is that God, you know who I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to be it. You've got the complete picture. And you already know as the psalm began, my innermost being. And this line here that says, see if there's any offensive way in me, most of the time that makes us uncomfortable again because we feel like what we're asking God to do is to find out where we're jacked up and then to call us on it. It feels punitive because many of our experiences have that as an element of it, but the invitation here for the Lord to find any way that is offensive would be more in tune, especially with the line of thinking that we have this morning, of him taking stock of what's going on in my life and the things that are misaligned from the plans and purposes of God, that those get removed. It's not to punish, it's to purify. And here's the beautiful thing about the the ability of God to edit your life. See, if we were in charge, we would go back to those really hard places and we would redact it. We would try to eliminate it. But what God can do is redeem it. And he can weave it into the future chapters in a way that produces blessing and hope. That produces alignment of person with who we were designed to. To be. Here's what I knew about the past the paper stories. The young lady in my class, who would be a beautiful writer, a great communicator, and a gifted storyteller and creative writer, she would begin something that you would want to read the whole thing of, and you knew as soon as it got past the person next to her, it was going to be less than. And as a teacher, I could tell that just a few more pages, oh man, this is going to be a senseless mess. But if I could get that paper passed all the way back around to her, it's right in the end. She might have started a story about puppies and they turned into pirates, but you know what? If I can get that paper back into her hands, it's puppies at the end. The pirates were just like a nightmare or something. Like it, The Lord is present in this moment. He's present in the moments of your deepest pain and hurt. He would speak new truths to those if you would invite just a process of going there with Him. You are known wholly, truly, and completely. And even the things that you aren't self-aware of, of your own person, He is aware of. And when you surrender the character development to him, then he writes the story with that alignment in mind, and he retains the editing rights. The things that need to be recrafted in your story, he's wholly capable of doing. With the worship team coming forward, church family, I want to invite you to stand. And we're going to just respond with a couple questions this morning and allow the Lord to maybe consider our hearts As we do this for just a moment, I'm gonna encourage you just to close your eyes as a way to just drown out distractions. Lord, would you prepare our hearts to hear from you. Lord, to hear uh, the hope that is in you and to hear your offer. To receive the author's pen and to begin to write anew. Church family, I just encourage you to entertain these two or three questions for a moment. The first is, are, are you in need of an edit? Like today. This moment. Not like a, a going back and digging into past chapters, moving towards reconciliation and health and, and seeing those written into the future, but like an immediate edit, an interruption today would you allow the Lord to do that? You know maybe you're in the place where you need a new chapter to begin. That this, this last short story sequence of your life has been traumatic and broken. that it's been less than God's intention for your life. Maybe it's been something that you have created on your own as you've looked to script your own way forward. Do you need a a new chapter? I would suggest to you that you need to metaphorically uh, uh, surrender the pen. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, we are encouraged by the writer to fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. That we're to look to him, to surrender to him, and allow him to begin to move in alignment with what he has already done. That word authorship there in the Greek, it's not author like you would think as far as like writing a story or a poem. It means originator the catalyst of the one who began it and holds it together and finishes it. If you've got a place in your life where you need an edit, where you need a rewrite, where you need a new chapter to start, with your eyes closed, if you would just put your hands out in front of you as if you were surrendering that to the Lord. He knows the details of what it is and he knows what to do with it. Lord, you see those hands and those hearts out before you. Jesus, we would ask that you would move. Lord, there's new chapters that need to be written. Lord, there's chapters that need to be closed. There's chapters that need to be closed today in Jesus' name. Lord, there are voices. There are voices that need to be silenced today. And there are hearts here that need to hear you speak, to hear your spirit speak about who they are and who they've been called to be. There's men of God and women of God who need to be awakened from slumber today to step into all that you have called them to be. And so, Lord, we surrender those places to you. In essence, we surrender the pen. We give you soul authorship. Begin a new chapter. Lord, we repent of listening to the wrong voices. We repent of attempting to write our own narrative. We surrender our life to you today and we begin to ask you to edit our lives into the masterpiece that you've designed it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, I've got a couple action steps for you this week. I would encourage you to read Psalm 139. We jumped around and bounced around in it. Be a good discipline just to read the whole thing from verse one to the end. Number two, as you are reminded to, surrender the pen. Just keep giving that to Jesus. Maybe start that as a prayer each morning this week. Jesus, I give the pen to you. Let's see what you do with my day today. Number three, uh, allow God to write your next chapter, not just to continue this one, but to write your next one. God bless you. Happy Father's Day.